0: Broken pieces are best used uh that the the artists when we give those pieces to him when we when we allow him to do what he does best, yes. then that is when we get to the place where we just know our perspective and our role and understanding that God sees a bigger picture that we can't see
1: growing up, Josh Brewer only knew about abandonment and abuse in fact, it was just his normal, but when he was fourteen he met a God who had always been working behind the scenes.
0: And I realized, uh, this is what a family's supposed to look like. Right. And the, and the foster dad would be, every night he would pray over everyone. He would get his guitar out and sing a worship song. They'd open the Bible.
1: Josh Brewer's childhood started in a horrible place. But over the years, his story demonstrated Kavah. God weaving a life together and restoring Josh in his perfect timing. Welcome back to Kavah. Welcome back to Kava the podcast. I'm Kelly Archibald and I want to thank you for tuning in. We live in a crazy world, so we made this podcast to shine some hope into your life. Our guests have lived through some incredible things, both good and bad, and they want to share their stories with you. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. If you've been inspired or encouraged by these stories, please consider supporting us on Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information about us at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. So at eight, your father went to prison, and so then your mother had addiction issues, and so from 8 to 16, um, you're in foster care and moving around and moving around, so did something significant happen in that time period um, that elicited change for you? Yeah,
0: yeah there, was a, there was a lot of, I mean, we were literally in dozens of homes, and so oh, wow. when you think of, sometimes they would be for a week, and then sometimes they'd be for a couple months, Um, in the perpetual process of my mom doing the best that she could. Like I remember being in foster care and this woman has gone through more hardship than, than any person I ever know. And I'll tell the redemption, the redemption side of this at the, at the end. Um, But I remember going and we were staying at a, uh, at a motel in Colorado. And I remember very cold outside and I remember where we're at. I don't remember the exact hotel, but I remember there was a little bit of a hill going down with the sidewalk. And I remember one time watching my mom come up carrying groceries, like just arms full of groceries in the middle of a snowstorm, to, to feed the kids. And just, that was just the type of woman that she was in, um, and, and getting a snapshot of that. When you're in the middle of it, you don't, you don't see that you don't learn to appreciate things like that. Um, obviously on retrospect, seeing the heartache that she had went through uh, and, and, never really considering what was it like from her perspective on that
1: josh didn't grow up with an understanding of how difficult his life was it was all he knew but soon a ray of light would break through and show him what he had been missing
0: Um, but that memory stood out for sure uh, during this time frame and that that was a, a, a pivotal moment which i'll come back to but really helped to bring perspective a fullness of perspective on that There were a couple other things that happened during this time. Um, I I got into uh, a home that was a really uh, dysfunctional home, and it was a foster home. They had six foster kids. Uh, One of the guys was, uh, he would have seizures and blackout, and he couldn't drive for that, or he would be emotionally, he'd be physically there, but emotionally, um, he would be lashing out and have no awareness of what he was doing and in that same home, another guy who was locked up in a straight home before, uh, and then me and one other brother, and then another kid who was abused sexually his whole life and carried that drama into it. So we we had this home of six kids uh, that were just, one of the kids were the foster parents' biological kid. And uh, it was just this complete dysfunctional, you know, all the, the it was a, what you would think in every sort of, Avenue of trauma all coming together. And then the, to, to amplify that, the parents were just not good people. And they would tell the stories. I remember even at 12 years old, stories that were just like, no kid should hear about even their life and what they used to do. And and I'll just keep it vague for, for, for now. But just things that like, okay, no kid should be hearing this. And in the middle of that, I remember there was my younger brother and sister went to a home in, in Colorado Springs they went into a foster home that was, uh, I was able to go there for a couple weeks with them. They they put me with them. And I never forget, I would never really known what it was like to sit at a dinner table and have dinner. Mm, yeah. It's kind of a foreign concept. Uh, even in the foster cares, I mean, there was one or two where you would do that, but for the most part, it, it just, I don't have any memory of that. Um, and I'm sure it happened, but uh, this is the first time I got there and I realized uh this is what a family's supposed to look like. Right. And the, and the foster dad would be every night. He would pray over everyone. He would get his guitar out and sing a worship song. They'd open the Bible. They were full of patience and and kindness. Never, you know, re, uh, never remember them raising their voice. And and uh, I was there for a couple of weeks. Um, I ended up stealing a game from Walmart, and uh, they found out about it. And uh, like the good godly people that they were, they made me take it back. And she's like, "Oh no, don't you feel like a man?" I'm like, "No." one of my game. Uh, but, but in that moment they you know they ended up uh, releasing me from that home and put me back in the other home. but they would allow me to visit every other week. And so it quickly became a, a kind of a safe haven, almost this um, this uh, you know, I'm over here in the desert and this was just like a, a cup of cold water that I would get every every other week and my younger brother and sister stayed there too. And so those are some of the more formidable moments um, in that highlight being that for sure,
1: Josh's experience in this godly home was brief, but it made an impact on him at 14 years of age. Unfortunately, he still had a couple more years of hardship ahead of him.
0: But then I remember moments, you know, being in and out of, of foster care, um, other catalytic moments that once again, in the moment, you don't realize it, it just seems normal. But on the backside, it's like, oh, wow, that was, that was really messed up. I remember being at a gas station one time with my mom and, and her, one of her boyfriends, and was holding up a sign, something about need food or something, and somebody called CPS, and I remember getting picked up from oh, there. Wow. And so, just just all these these memories that kind of come together. That it's just like, man, in in the moment, I can see obviously the 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 sovereignty of God. That there is there was a reason. I know there's a reason. There's a purpose. And there's every step of the way there was a, a a glimmer of hope. But really, just a lot of brokenness, a lot of hurt, and a lot of pain, and and uh, so, yeah, went left that home, the the good godly home, and was back in that other home, and that's where I remained uh, until I was uh, sixteen and ended up getting adopted. So, wow.
1: So, you how many years were you in that dysfunctional
0: home? So uh, that was about two years or so, okay. and um, it was.
1: And you have one sibling with you. I
0: was one sibling with me. Yeah. Okay. So there, my oldest sibling, I think, was with. The next older one for a season, he okay. ended up, uh, you know, he graduated okay. out. He became okay. an adult. And uh, both of the older siblings ended up having kids when they were teenagers. Okay. And so kind of repeated the same process, repeated okay. the same cycle.
1: Okay. And so um, you got adopted.
0: Yeah. So once again, pop, 10 to 12 different states from Texas, Oklahoma, all what? the way up. Um, ended up in Colorado. Found out that we had an uncle that lived in Nashville, Tennessee. It was my mom's brother. Uh, we had never met the guy, oh, wow. and uh, he had found out that us four younger kids were in foster care, and he had reached out. and I don't know how they got connected because really, you know, the 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 trauma even in my mom's life started even as a nine year old when she ran away from home, and yeah. and has always been one of those things of just you know feeling isolated and and her in our own journey. So she didn't really have much of a relationship with him, um, but at this point, the state had said at some point during. Um, Those years, those teenage years before this, the state has decided to terminate rights. And I remember hearing this distinctly. Uh, And I use it to this day uh, because it really is a powerful thought. But they said it's better to be in a broken relationship than a breaking relationship. And so they terminated the rights there. And we were in foster care for a couple years at that point. My mom was allowed to write, and we would still be in con- communication. But this was actually the best thing even for her. It would give her the opportunity to, to, try to sort some things out in her life um, as well. So find out, my, my uncle uh, reaches out, and the state, even though we didn't know the guy, uh, the state said it would be better to maybe be with family that we don't know than not family that right. we don't know either. So um, basically had some conversations, and I remember he flew out one time, from Nashville to Colorado, and then my grandpa, which is his dad, as well. And I remember at that time, him, my grandpa, taking us out to go uh, to the Grand Canyon. I don't know how we got there. I don't know if we flew there, drove there. I can't remember. But I remember going through that and uh, connecting with him. And then, long story short, we ended up flying out in uh, 2000. I believe 2000, March of 2000. Ended up going there. And at this time, you know, uh, I was a sophomore and... I was, um, they, I remember in Colorado, they were saying at this point in school, just all failing, all grades, didn't care, right. didn't care about anything. Um, I was, uh, through those teenage years, I was arrested for grant larceny. Um, had a lot of anger issues, right. pulled a shotgun on my brother, Tried to shoot him. I like I was, I had a lot of issues. Right. And so at that point I didn't care about anything. Right. Uh, I was the quiet type. I was the, uh, Hey, look down through school, look down at the floor. Don't talk to anybody. Right. Um, did everything I could do to repel people, because if you get on the inside, then you have an opportunity to hurt me.
1: Josh had stopped hoping for things to get better. He had decided that the best goal was just to protect himself and go with the flow. And yet, in spite of himself, something in him decided to take one last shot at a better life.
0: And so here I was in that moment, um, and all the drama, all the trauma... Um, processing that and my, my uncle reaching out and realized that they're going to have an opportunity to get out of this inconsistent, this cycle of just back and forth, in and out. And I was looking at that and they basically put on the terms of I have to be passing my grades. And I don't know if they were using it as manipulation or whatever, but right. um, I never forget. I was like, okay, well, let me get this up. And I got my grades to, to D's um, in the couple months that I had before moving and they ended up doing it. So we flew over uh, to Nashville and the poor guy, my uncle and his wife had one kid and he was a good kid. He was not ready for four dysfunctional kids to come wreck the party. Yeah. And we went into the house and he uh they went to church so we had to go to church. So that kind of started the process of um hey, this is what a normal life I, I never forget we sat down the first meal, we sat at a table and um, I don't know what it's called, but the chili and the little Fritos and the whatever that's called. Oh, yeah. We sat down and we had it. We sat at the table and it was like, oh, my gosh, this is this is what family feels wow. like. And yeah. he's, you know, started going to church. So we we went to church and that really started the process of of really change and healing. And it was a long road for sure. But in that the sense of, OK, like I feel like I'm, I'm home. I got I got home. Wow. I feel like uh, I'm not a nomad going back and forth, and so through that uh, that season of transition, I remember um, the church coming along. I remember a bunch of people from the church didn't know them, but they all came and they helped move in stuff and furniture and get things set up, and and must have been a I don't seem like a dozen people, but getting to connect with some of those people that I didn't know at the time, but years later they're like, oh, I remember when your uncle adopted you, and and Really, just seeing the church come in and be a huge, play a huge role in that, and about it was about a year later. So he ended up uh, officially adopting us, and and uh, I was sixteen, going on seventeen, and ended up you know really just finding a sense of okay, this is this is the new normal, and and let me see what this looks like. Wasn't saved, didn't have a church background, um, but I remember getting there and. You know, saying okay, I can, I can do this. This is, this is what life is supposed to look like. Wow. So,
1: that final grasp at hope ended up paying off for Josh. It took a lot of getting used to, but he finally had a healthy normal. So, had your uncle? Did he know about you all along, all these years? Was he like, I have a sister who has a family somewhere yeah. in the United States, but just didn't know.
0: What y'all were going through? Yeah, I think there was some, certainly some awareness. I think my mom and I, and I don't know entirely how or why what was going through her brain, but there was some isolation on her end, okay. and and the hurt and the pain that she went through, and really it was just it was just a disconnect. And I remember driving through from Washington to Idaho, and there was some family up there as well that that we saw and connected with, and and there's vague memories of being out in the. Uh, you know, in the in the woods or whatever, yeah. camping and different things. Um, but, so I think there was an awareness. I don't maybe, I, I don't know if they would, if, they, if he, I wouldn't say that he would have known in totality what was right, going on. Right. But there was a, hey, this a strange sister and she right. just got kids. And I don't know if they try to communicate over the right, years, right. Uh, but there was just an awareness. I don't even know even really how he found out about it. But there was, there was certainly, when when the opportunity came to him,
1: Wow you know he, he, stepped, he, he up. stepped up, yeah that's awesome. Josh had a home and a family, but it didn't stop there. Something much scarier was on the rise. the chance to open his heart again so you settled in, and what are you about sixteen yep and what is your next big event so
0: started getting connected uh in the youth group and Uh, just almost out of almost out of obligation didn't I remember there was one or two times where my mom would take us to different churches growing up and almost like screaming for help you know in the middle of all this but never connected never had any uh, lasting memories in me definitely didn't grow up in church and so uh, trying to get connected and what does this look like this is the new norm Um, feeling like an outcast feeling like nobody understood nobody knew my story what I went through feeling like I didn't fit, which then reinforced right. the isolation. Right. And as I was processing through that, I ended up going to one of the summer camps, the kids camps, and uh, it was there, it was a, a church that was a little bit more charismatic than, you know, when you're not coming from church, right. you kind of get thrown into it. <laughs> right. And I, and I forget, we're sitting there and the youth group was, it was like I was that kid, there was like a couple hundred kids in the youth group and everybody was surrounding and like praying over me and, and I just, you know, even felt people kind of pushing and swaying and just in the moment. And I was like, you know, standing my ground, I'm not going to be, uh, yeah. you know, hyper spiritual, whatever. And, and I never forget just, just in a moment, like the love of God, the love of mm-hmm. a father that I didn't understand that wasn't church, that wasn't manufactured, there wasn't somebody preaching a word, but it was just like this overwhelming sense of, I love you and you belong and you're, my kid and that just hit me and then all of a sudden I it was just this sense of almost like almost like falling back like I, I you know I just I, I, I never felt that never knew that and and I felt the Lord speaking to my heart as I trusted him and said, okay I'm gonna give my life. I want to give all this crap, all this junk. And and I felt like he, he spoke and he said the, the vision for your life is to minister to people through words and music. Now that didn't make sense because that was a sophomore in high school Uh, fast forward two years later as a senior, I was still, you know, looking down, walking through the high school, not talking to anybody. I failed my government class because I wouldn't get up in front of the class and debate insecurity and all that stuff. So that didn't make sense that you say words. What does that mean? Um, never played music before in my life. And so sitting there thinking, what does this even mean? I didn't know I was too ignorant, uh, for Christian cliches and right. You know, whatever. There was just this impression that this is your purpose to minister to people through words and music. And so, a couple months later, after that, got a little keyboard. One of my um, one of my family members had a little small keyboard that uh, they gave to me, and I just started figuring out the notes and wow. just started learning. I thought, well, I love what uh, music did in movies and yes. video games and whatever. There was a mood that was set when yes. you when you would hear music play. And it invoked this emotion. I was like, there's something powerful about that. And so on one hand, I was like, I really want to know, you know, I want to be able to create something like that that invokes the emotion that I get when I hear that. You know, if you watch a scary movie and you hit mute, it's right. it's, it's all of a sudden it ain't scary, right? <laughs> right. Um, or a moving part or whatever. But then there was that, okay, well, what is this music part? What is that? Right. And so I start learning chords. And then uh, our youth pastor at the time. Uh, he said, "Hey, we need a we need a keyboard player, and you know, would you would you mind jumping in?" And,
1: Before being placed in the foster care system, Josh had grown up in a home where dad coming through the door was terrifying. He and his siblings used to hide the belt when their dad returned from work. Then he had spent years in the foster care system with no sense of up or down, with constant uprooting and anxiety on every side. He didn't know what it was like to have a stable father but now he was face to face with a heavenly father who hadn't changed since the beginning of time. This father, God, tenderly cared for Josh and walked him through a process of healing through music. He even showed Josh things about himself that he hadn't known. He invited him into a new kind of life, the life of a beloved son. God saw big things in Josh because he had created him. So when Josh heard God asking him to open his heart to others through music, he trusted him. The young man who had tried desperately to blend into his high school walls was about to lift his head for the first time. Join us next time for Josh's final episode on Kaval. Thanks again for listening to Kaval the Podcast. It's our joy to share these stories of hope in a confusing world. To keep up with our guests and adventures in podcasting, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We would also love it if you gave us a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. It helps us continue to share hope around the world. We are so grateful for our listeners who financially support the Podcast. If you would like to become a supporter, please consider donating via Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information at KavalPodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. I would like to thank my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I could not do this without you. You make this happen, and I can't express my gratitude. Maybe you've been listening because you found yourself in a desperate place. We want you to know that all is not lost. It is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you, those who've waited to find a positive outcome. Please be sure and connect with us via our website or social media. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.